Hey there, welcome to the Collide podcast. This is Willa Weston, the founder and director of Collide, and I'm so glad you hopped on, and I can't wait to hand you this conversation that I just had with Manda Carpenter, who I'm gonna tell you about in a minute, but before I do, I wanna remind you that we have so much going on around here at Collide with our conferences and our classes, and we have new books that just came out, so make sure that you check out everything that we have for you at wecollide.net and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can be the first to know all the things. I had such a great conversation with Amanda. She's a writer, a speaker, she's an advocate, and she just came out with the book Soul Care to Save Your Life. And in this episode, we talk about her new book and this idea of soul care and how maybe we've misunderstood what it is and it's something so much more beautiful than we ever thought it was. So I think you'll be inspired and challenged in this conversation. So check it out. Manda Carpenter, you punch pillows when you're mad and you eat Oreos every single night. So I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Yes. Do we have some things in common? I actually don't punch pillows, but it doesn't mean I don't get mad. And I actually don't eat Oreos, but I love just the description when I stalked you to find out what I wanted to ask you. I love that you're just like, yeah, these things are true about me, you know? You know, I just put it all out there. And actually, I've switched from Oreos to Milano's, so I'm kind of on a new kick. But it's always a cookie. Like, I end my night with cookies. Really? cookies. You've upped your standards. You're, I think so. Milano feels a little elevated. Right. You're <laughs> you're moving up in the world. When did you start your <laughs> nightly cookie moment? Oh, boy. So my husband and I have been married eight years, and he would probably tell you that there's not many nights he recalls where I haven't been this way. I'm just like, I love sweets. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't really hold back in that area, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I can't recall if it was like, I mean, my mom would probably tell you I loved little Debbie's as a kid, like mm-hmm. cosmic brownies, oatmeal cream pies, like <laughs> not going to lie. Wasn't the healthiest child. Still am not the healthiest adult I'm working on it. Um, but I also believe in moderation and just, yeah. uh, it's the little things that bring us joy. Right. So bite of chocolate for me. Does hey, it. Mine is coffee every morning. Like don't mess with my coffee time in the morning or okay. it's not going to be a fun day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. You're we all have right? our, our vice. A mom, a foster parent, an advocate, an author, a podcast host. I mean, when I was reading up on you, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what else are you hoping to add to your resume? <laughs> You're sweet. Um, yeah, it's been really fun. I've gotten to do a lot of things throughout my short life. I mean, in the grand scheme, I still feel like I have so much life to live. So it's it's cool that I've been able to do a lot of things that I've always dreamed of doing. But um I don't know. I think the only other thing, I don't know if your question is serious, but I will answer because I have one answer. Something else I want to do before I die is, which that sounds so morbid, but just a dream, a goal, an ambition that I have is really to, on a bigger scale, partner with the parents of of children who are in foster care. So I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but my husband and I are foster parents and I'm just so passionate about partnering with the biological parents during that time of their life. And right now I get to do that very organically in our journey, but um, to start something to 
possibly even see policy around child welfare change in my lifetime would be a huge dream come true and something that I would love to be a part of. So Mm. there's my very real answer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would imagine because how many kids have you fostered? So now we've had 17 foster kids and then we have our biological son and a baby girl on the way. Wow. So I'm imagining you've learned a lot. You've gotten sort of a sneak peek into the needs, the sort of injustices, the like mess in the system. So this dream that you have, was that something that you had even before you fostered or did you start to learn, oh, hey, this needs change. We need to do some new work to bring about some change. Yeah, that was not a dream I had, wasn't even on my radar um, until we were so in the thick of this lifestyle. Um, And I got close to some of our kids' moms and spent time with them and heard their story and just Mm. connected with them and realized that we have a lot more in common than, like, we're a lot more alike than we are different um, Mm -hmm. and that these people are not monsters. And, you know, just so many stereotypes that started to um, be dismantled before Mm -hmm. my eyes. And, yeah, I think it was through experience that I I would say humility and proximity challenged everything that I thought I knew. Mm -hmm. And that has been true of a lot of areas of my life. And I think that's uh, probably the most concise way that I can describe my relationship with God. It's just it continually humbles me and makes me curious. And I'm, it's, I'm never done learning. And therefore, I'm never done dreaming. And Yeah. So it all goes together, but it was not on my radar until we were living it out. Well, and so many people's story and experience isn't like yours in the sense that you and your husband fostered so many kids before you had your own. What made you sign up in the first place and say, sign me up on a foster and take care of other people's children? Yeah. I love this question. And I think a lot of people assume or write a story that maybe we were struggling with fertility and like Mm -hmm. that it was kind of plan B, but that's not actually true of our story at all. And it's totally fine if that is someone's story, but it's just not the truth of our story. We actively prevented pregnancy because that was plan A was to foster. And so we dove in, um, in 20, let's see, that was 2017. We got our first placement. So sometime prior to then we were licensed and and then by 2017, we had our first placement and my husband was always on board because that was a conversation we had throughout dating. I was like, Hey, I don't know if I want biological children, but I know I want to foster. So mm-hmm. there was no, um, that was no surprise to him. And where that came from, just to back it up a little, a little bit further is my own childhood. So I come from a divorced home, a lot of dysfunction. Um, On my seventh birthday, I was at my dad's house that weekend and he got into a domestic altercation with my, at the time, stepmom. And it led me to have to call the police um, on him because things got so bad. And so he went to jail and she went, uh, my stepmother at the time went uh, on a stretcher in an ambulance. And then I was left there at seven seven years old, like literally on the day of my birthday, mm-hmm. seven years old, mm-hmm. sitting on the porch steps. I had my baby half sister because they had had a daughter together who was one at the time next to me, like in a little bouncer. And the police brought a social worker over to talk to me. And it was, it was basically the moment where I was either going to go into foster care or they needed to locate my mom to make sure she could care for me. And uh, without going into the weeds on the whole thing, 
I'm very grateful I didn't end up having to spend time in foster care. I was able to reunify with my mom and she's amazing. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I don't at all take on the um, identity of like being a former foster youth, but I can relate to kids in foster care just a tiny bit from that experience. And that's really where God planted the seeds for what would come later on in my life. Um, I don't think at seven years old, especially on a traumatic day like that, I was thinking that I want to be a foster parent. I didn't even know what that was, but I do believe that God used the catastrophe in my life to be a catalyst for a calling. Mm. And so years later that came to fruition and it's just something that we're so passionate about. And, um, my husband's story is entirely different, but he became passionate just as he learned about the system and learned about the needs that exist in our backyard, you know, that you didn't necessarily have to be a missionary to follow Jesus. You don't necessarily have to go and live overseas. Like there are needs right here, um, next to you in, mm -hmm. in the apartment next to you or the house next to you and in mm -hmm. your own backyard. So mm -hmm. something we're super, super passionate about and have loved doing. I love that you're saying yes to this call that God has on your life. And I can totally resonate because I'm laughing because it's not like, oh, yay, life was so hard as a kid. I'm so happy about it. But it is crazy how God uses our story and experience with pain and woundedness to give us a passion to help other people who yes. have pain and woundedness. And I don't know if I would be doing what I was doing or have the compassion or the inspiration even to help people in the way that God's calling me to in the world. And I can see that in your life. I think that's awesome. Thanks very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that nothing is wasted, which I think is so good to hear because when we're in the thick of hard things, even as an adult now, especially as an adult now, I mean, it's easy to look back on it as a kid, but when we're in a dark season or we're going through something really tough, it's hard to believe that it, might have a bigger purpose outside of us. Um, mm -hmm. But I've found that to be true time and time again. It sounds like you have as well. Yeah, absolutely. You just came out with a book called Soul Care to Save Your Life. Why'd you write it? Yeah. Oh, I wrote Soul Care to Save Your Life because I wanted to really give people an inside look at who I was and what God has brought me out of. Because I think I meet people all the time today and... I, I just think there's this misconception of who I am. I think there's this false sense of perfection. I put that in air quotes, but this, this idea that she's got it all together. She's got it all figured out, blah, 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 whatever the story is that people write. And, and I know that that's a story that's been written because it's often shared with me um, through social media or whatever. And so Soul Care to Save Your Life, I wrote it for, for a couple of reasons, but first and foremost, to let people in on the fullness of who I am, which includes a lot of flaws and failures. Um, and so I don't hold any of that back in the book. Um, it includes infidelity in my marriage. Things are very vulnerable to talk about, but I wanted people to know that part of me because I felt like I got to this point where I was like proclaiming God's goodness and trying to tell people about Jesus and why I'm so passionate about following Jesus. But unless I was willing to reveal the mess that God brought me out of, I kind of felt like I was just noise, like people weren't really getting it. And so I just, I've always been a writer. I've been writing about this journey and really the different practices of soul care that God had uh, 
taking me on this journey and taught me. And as I began to see my life transform, I realized how much I wanted this for other people. And putting Soul Care to Save Your Life out into the world was, again, part vulnerability, like, let me just be real and show you what, you know, God has done in me. And not just for you to know that about me, but so you can know it, it can be true for you too. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, on a very practical level, each chapter, there are 15 chapters and each chapter has a soul care practice because I wanted to make it accessible. It's really hard to make caring for your soul, a very accessible, tangible concept, but I wanted to really try to break it down and get, um, more tangible with it in giving people some guidance, like maybe the the ways that we were taught in church to connect with God, maybe, maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe you don't have to follow the model that's always been given to you. For example, I feel like I was always taught to like read my Bible, go to church, listen to worship music, you know, raise my hands during worship. And all of that is great. Um, the problem is those things didn't help my addiction to affirmation from men. Okay. So let's just like get really real. I needed something deeper. And so one of the soul care practices that I write about is confession and how the practice of confession in my life became one of the most spiritual practices that I could ever engage in that has transformed who I am and changed my life altogether. And so that's just one tiny example, but I wrote this book because I know I can't be the only one who struggles with things and is wanting a brighter past than their future or a brighter future than their past. Mm -hmm. I, I love this idea. And I think it's interesting because I can hear some people being like soul care, like what, what is that? Or <laughs> other people thinking, Oh yeah, soul care. You're going to tell me to read my Bible or, and I love that you're using, cause I was going to ask you, what does soul care look like on a practical level? And you giving us the example of confession it's you actually taking it deeper than just showing up, sitting in a pew and being like, God, I confess I'm a sinner, but actually going to the place of, oh, hey, like I'm finding myself looking to be fulfilled by men's acknowledgement, men's, you know, like of me or whatever, and even taking it deeper. Why is that the case? And confessing that, that then actually does start to take care of your soul. It's not just like this sort of like role because it seems to me like soul care can become sort of this like people can make it to be religious obligation rather totally. than an invitation into something good yeah totally i didn't want the practices of soul care to feel very similar to like here's a here's 10 steps you can take like a self-help book would feel mm -hmm. i because they're not it's not a step that you take one time one and done you're good to go these are these are really exercises practices that you engage with and and it never ends and that might sound kind of daunting or overwhelming but like that's actually really hopeful for me and really freeing for me that these are always available to me that that they're not things that i that I do or I try on. They're not ways that I modify my behavior. They're really ways of becoming, mm -hmm. um, of being made new. And you named one of the other soul care practices, which is dig a layer deeper. So it, I just try to get really specific on the ways that I know. Um, I, I think when I was, when I was outlining the book, I was asking myself, how can I get so specific about how God has transformed me? 
Like it's miraculous because it's God, but there are things that I engaged in and practices and steps that I took and things I've learned along the way that are spiritual practices that I believe can be helpful to a lot of people. I've had, I've had so many people read this book and say, man, my struggle is so different from yours. Like they don't, there's been no infidelity in their marriage. They don't struggle with attention from the opposite sex or whatever the case is. Their struggle is entirely different from mine. Some call it sin, some don't, you know, whatever the language that you are comfortable with, it doesn't matter. But they've said these practices have been so helpful. And that's, that was my hope. Like, I didn't care if it was a bestseller. I didn't care, you know, if it got a little criticism, that certainly happens. It was just about if I can help like one person, Mm -hmm. um, then it's worth it. It's worth putting all this out there. Um, which was super scary, but I, I have no regrets. I'm so glad I did it. Mm. It's really interesting. Cause I think even your idea of dig a layer deeper, we're so used to sort of keeping our face life, our soul care life sort of surfacy. It mm-hmm. almost feels easier. It lacks relationship with God and it misses out on so much beauty. I mean, I'm just thinking about, I was in a conversation with a woman recently and she comes in to my office because she wants to talk and right away is like I'm not doing great spiritually and um she's feeling overwhelmed that she's not doing great spiritually and so I knew I wanted to go deeper so my question was um how are you grading yourself spiritually like mm. she's already grading herself and it was all based on well I've been so busy I haven't been reading the bible and and I understand like reading God's word is important and, and it's wonderful and it's a way that he speaks to us and and we gain so much by doing it but it was kind of this like like you're talking about like like let's go deeper and talk about what a relationship with God could look like. And sometimes, you know, in healthy relationships, if he's our father, we're his kids. Sometimes a father just wants to hang out with their kids and play a game or go on a walk or plop up in his lap and just hang out. Sometimes he talks, sometimes he listens, sometimes there's silence. Right. And so that like digging deeper into soul care feels like it's such a beautiful invitation, but sometimes people are like up here, more shallow. I'm putting my hands up above my face, but like they're up here because they've either been invited to have that kind of relationship with God or it's actually easier, but it creates so much shame and guilt and obligation. Totally. And yes, to everything you're saying. And I love that you're talking about a relationship with God because something that I've had to ask myself is, well, my relationship with my mom, for example, looks different than her relationship with my husband or her relationship with my grandma or other people in her life. Relationships are all different. It's not like my relationship with my mom should be identical to someone else's relationship with my mom or someone's relationship with me. Like one of my friends would probably describe her friendship with me a certain way. And another friend would describe it another way. Relationships aren't supposed to look all the same. And for some reason, I would say the church and I'm talking about like the big C church mm-hmm. hasn't always done us a favor in the language around relationship with God, because I think it's helpful to hear how some people connect with God. But if we are only thinking like, that's the way that mm-hmm. that's what a relationship with God looks like. Well, it's really sad because you're a unique human being and your relationship with God should be unique and not look just like your pastor or just like your friend's relationship with God does. And 
that's why my own, my husband and I, like we talk about all the time, our relationships with God looks so different. Um, the ways we connect with God are very different. Mm -hmm. Like he's not, he, he would be the first to tell you, like, he doesn't feel like there's much happening for him while he's like listening to a worship song, but going on a hike, he feels so connected to the divine. And I think we just have to respect that we're all unique individuals and their relationship with God is going to look unique mm -hmm. and it's going to evolve because we're evolving people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love that you're, I love that you are saying that and kind of uh, pointing that out. I totally agree. We believe that God has something special in store for your life. Do you need some help discerning next steps in your calling or wishing that God could do something big with your life, but you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're tired, overwhelmed, or burned out and need some encouragement and inspiration to get back up. Whatever season or life phase you're in, we've got an incredible online course called Women of Impact that will equip and empower you with tools to fully live out your purpose in this life. This course comes with over 70 teaching sessions taught by over 50 incredible women and features topics like discerning direction, dreams and vision, health for a purpose, impact in every chapter, and more. You'll also get beautifully designed journals and incredible resource lists. This course was created for women on the go, meaning you can access it anytime, anywhere, on any device. Now is the time to get inspired and equipped to make an impact with your life. This robust course is available for only $149. You can learn more or register by going to wecollide.net forward slash women of impact. Well, and we're an evolving people and we go through seasons of time, right? Where, you know, it's not, it's not a surprise to God that we're in a time of grief because someone we love passed away in our life or that we're in a time of, of just overwhelmed by all our responsibilities. And so I think in relationship, the people who love us can also note what's going on in our lives and make space and give grace for that. But we have a hard time doing that for ourselves when it comes to our relationship with God. Totally. Yes. Yeah. I'm I relate. Kidding. What do you think we choose instead of soul care? Oh, I love this question. You're a great question asker. I think we choose to numb out. I think we choose distraction. Mm -hmm. I think we choose quick fixes, temporary solutions, temporary comfort. Um, I think we choose ignorance and to turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think in our own way, the comfort, the safety piece feels like it's it's better or doable because being vulnerable and looking in the mirror and dealing with the hard stuff, that's not fun, but it always catches up to us. Mm -hmm. Well, you that's know, what I like, was going to ask you if someone's listening to you right now and they're like, man, I know I should get her book. I know I should do soul care play out what happens if we don't say yes to the invitation to take care of our soul. Yeah. I think unfortunately what happens, it, it can play out a million different ways, but I think what happens is you wake up one day and you say, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I like, when did I start drinking every day? Or 
when did I rack up all this credit card debt or whatever, whatever the thing is where you realize you wake up and you're like, wait a second, this is not the life I'm proud of, not the life I want to be living. This is not the legacy I want to leave behind when I'm gone. And so uh, that's probably the broadest stroke I can paint here. Mm -hmm. Um, And if people are in that place now, I relate. That's where I was at. When they read the first two chapters of my book, I share the story of hitting rock bottom. And for me, it was after that, that I then, you know, was able to, along with God's help, climb out of the pit and like get out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to like, wait until you hit a rock bottom, you could actually maybe prevent it, which would be even better. Um, soul cares for all of us. It's for all of us. And it doesn't matter what season of life we're in. Um, in fact, I would say I need it just as much in like, quote unquote, easy, happy, light, everything's going well kind of seasons as I do when crap has hit the fan for lack of better words, you know, like I need it all the time. I'm, I think it's just another way of saying like, I'm never not in need of God. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You talk about radical honesty leading to real healing. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So that is the subtitle for the book. Radical honesty leads to real healing. I chose that because it is essentially the summary of what I know to be true. That if you are willing to be radically honest, you can experience real healing. If you are living in hiding, or if you're not willing to go all the way and like surrender it all, um, I'm not sure you'll experience healing. You might experience like some, a bit of relief or a moment of, yeah, relief is probably the best word, but I think to have true lasting healing and to experience transformation, I think we have to be radically honest. Um, so that's sort of like the best way I could put it into like a formula. Um, and it's, it's become like a mantra for me. So it's something that, um, our family lives by and probably to, to a fault. I think it makes people uncomfortable, but we know that it's the best way for us. What are some, or I guess maybe my question is what's your advice on how do we take a, a sort of evaluation of how honest we're being in our life? Mm. Yeah, this is another great question. I am a big fan of soliciting feedback from the right people. That's a big disclaimer from the right people. Ask your um, Yeah. So in the book, I talk about this. This is another one of the soul care practices, but we can't always see ourselves clearly. So we need someone to be a mirror holder for us. Mm. And I talk about how Jesus is the master mirror holder and like what that means and why that's been true for me. But also in our day-to-day lives here, like, let's be honest, we, we can ask people, what's it like to be on the other side of me? That question will generate a lot of truth and, and not all negative either. I think people are so scared of feedback because they think it's going to be like all the things someone hates about me or something. When in reality, that's normally not true at all. Normally it's like an abundance of praise and encouragement and affirmation and love. And sometimes a few hard truths, but I have found when I receive feedback, there's almost nothing that takes me by surprise. Like I'm self-aware enough that nothing is like a total shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I said the disclaimer about asking the right people is you you can't just rely on anyone for feedback. I think you need to be, it needs to be someone who 
has relational equity with you. Um, like I'm not going to just accept feedback from a random follower on Instagram who has never met me in person, doesn't spend any time with me and only knows me based on their perception of me. That's not a great way to obtain feedback, but to really gain feedback from the people that you're spending the most time with the people that you have that relational equity with that, you know, love you and wants the best for you and has your back. That's a great place to start in terms of really knowing like how honest am I being and where might there be a gap in integrity in my life somewhere in any way? Mm. That's a challenge that you are laying out that we should all say yes to. I like it a lot. I'm going to switch gears because I know we only have a little time together and I want to ask you about your podcast, The Longer Table. Yeah, I would love to talk about it. Yeah. So tell us why you started it, what you're talking about, what you're excited about. Yeah. I started a longer table podcast because I mean, it's kind of an extension of my life and what I write about and what I care about, which is ultimately just building longer tables, inviting more people and their perspectives to have a seat. Um, I often have even had people that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with or agree with on a certain thing come to the table because I just find so much value in learning people's stories. And I've always said that there isn't a single person we wouldn't love if we knew their story. And so, especially if I find someone who we don't see eye to eye, maybe politically, or we, you know, whatever the case is, but I get to know their story. I can see beyond the issue that we disagree on and really start to see them for a human being that God loves just as much as he loves me, that I'm, that we're both made in God's image in our own ways. And yeah, there's just so much value, I think, in in not viewing the world as this like black and white place where it's us versus them. And mm-hmm. and gosh, our world, especially in the last few years, has become so polarizing. And so a longer table podcast, part of the mission is really to I actually said this earlier, but to inspire and provoke humility and curiosity. Um, because it'll challenge everything you thought you knew. And you might be able to embrace the grayness of issues and see people as not issues, but just people to be loved. And I think the world's a better place when we do that. So it's it's just part of what I think Jesus did really well. And I'm like, okay, how can I do this in 2023? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, our tables have gotten shorter. And even in the last few years, the divisiveness and polarization has become so great that people aren't even getting together with Aunt Susie at the Thanksgiving table anymore. Families aren't gathering with each other anymore. There's been best friend breakups over sort of all the disagreements about all the things. And I look at the life of Jesus and we talk all the time around here about colliding with Jesus. But when I look at Jesus, I think, wow, he went to parties and hung out with and sat at tables with people who looked different than him, acted different than him, believed different than him, lived different than him. Um, I mean, heck, at the Last Supper, like Judas was at his table and he served, you know, he served him bread. Like, I just, I'm not sure where as Christians we're getting this thing that we ought to only hang out with people who are exactly like us. Totally. Yeah. I'm so glad you said it. Um, yeah, I think so many of us, we, it's being in an echo chamber is comfortable. So that's where we stay, but it's not helpful. And I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's the way of Jesus mm-hmm. to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's hard work. So I also like have grace and empathy for myself and other people. Um, cause I'm, I'm no exception. Like it's easy to fall into just wanting to ha- spend time with people that we just get each other. We're mm-hmm. on the same page about everything. Like that's really nice and comfortable. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. I also, you know, I'm not sitting here on a high horse by any means. Yeah. Have you had some ways you've challenged yourself to sort of extend your table or to go and, and make yourself uncomfortable to be around people who are different than you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So a lot, um, throughout our fostering journey, I think, uh, it's happened a ton organically, uh, sometimes like without me even wanting it or trying for it, it just happens like inevitably. So, um, whether that's surrounding myself in spaces where I, as a white woman am the minority for my children's sake, whether it's inviting someone into my home that I don't like very much because of what they've done to hurt a child. Um, but really knowing that they just as much as me are worthy of second chances and grace and opportunity to be viewed as more than just the sum of their worst moments. Um, Mm. And with the podcast, inviting people who don't see things the same way as me and not to argue with them and, and, and really have the conversation be convincing that my way is the right way, but really to have the conversation in an effort to see them better and to love them better. And I mean this, yeah, it can happen on a variety of, uh, of places and ways, but I both notice that it happens organically just as I follow Jesus because I end up saying yes to things and have to be brave. But then also I definitely seek it out because I see the value in it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it challenges our Jesus likeness. And I think at least for myself, I experience Jesus more when I go sit at those tables. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, I love that you're having those kinds of conversations. I'm going to have to tune in and hang out with you that way. It's been so fun to hang out with you today. There's so much more about you that I hope people listening tap into and follow you. So how can they catch up with what God's doing in your life and get your book? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It's been so fun. You're, like I said, a great question asker, which um, just makes these kinds of things that much more enjoyable. But I am on Instagram at Manda Carpenter. I have a website, mandacarpenter.com. And through my website, you can easily access my weekly newsletter. So I send out a letter every Tuesday and um, my newsletter is on Substack. It's called A Longer Table. And same as the podcast, the Longer Table podcast. So kind of all the things, building longer tables, that's that's where I'm trying to hang out. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out at this table today, Amanda. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Friend, I hope that you enjoyed that convo that I just had with Manda. I think she gave us so much to think about and invited us into some challenging work, right, around caring for our own soul as well as sitting at longer tables. I hope this week as you sense God challenging you, specifically and personally, because I know that the challenge he has for me might be different than the challenge he has for you. I hope you'll say yes to that challenge. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.